even though he was a Greek. Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his, in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died, so the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Thanks very much, Sally. Well, uh, good to see you this morning. Let's pray as we come to, to God's words together. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the truth of the gospel. That by faith in Jesus Christ, we can be declared innocent. So Lord, help us to see the truth clearly this morning. And help us to act in line with that truth. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you were around in 1957 when um, what is generally considered to be one of the greatest April Fool hoaxes of all time um, took place. I don't know how many of you can remember that. 
It was um, a panorama documentary, uh, which claimed that a very mild winter and uh, the elimination of the spaghetti weevil meant that Swiss farmers were enjoying a great bumper spaghetti crop. And the footage showed Swiss farmers pulling strands of spaghetti, as in the, the picture here, from the trees. Some of you may be thinking, where's the hoax in that? Um, <laughs> well, this year in China, the government declared April Fool's Day as illegal. A statement from the state media agency said, the tradition was not in line with our country's cultural traditions, not in line with our socialist core values. They said, I hope we do not believe rumours, do not spread rumours, do not pass rumours. This cartoon, if you can understand a bit of Chinese, apparently one of the phones is saying rumours, the other one is saying resending, and the big finger is saying illegal. Well, whatever you might think about um, Chinese um, ideology, they had decided that April Fool's Day was not in line with their beliefs. It wasn't consistent with the communist doctrine. We'll be pleased to know that we're not studying communism this morning, but we are continuing with our series in Galatians, a book which focuses on the gospel, and in particular the freedom of the gospel. And so far we've, we've looked at the uniqueness of the gospel, we've looked at the power of the gospel to change lives. And this morning we're looking at how that plays out in the lives of believers, what it means to act in line with the truth of the gospel. Because there's no good knowing the truth if you don't act in line with it. But before we come on to to what it means to act in line with the the gospel, what is the truth of the gospel? Because the false teachers here who are trying to undermine the ministry of Paul in Galatia, who are trying to lead the Galatian Christians astray, were claiming that the gospel that Paul had taught was not the true gospel. Last week we saw Paul explaining that the gospel that had come to him uh, was not from human beings. It had been revealed to him from God. Well, now we see him defending the fact that the gospel that he is proclaiming is the same gospel that the other apostles in Jerusalem are proclaiming. It's the same gospel. And so 14 years after he'd gone first to Jerusalem, he goes up again. And as we see in verse 2, this is in response to a revelation. This is God telling him to go to Jerusalem. And for Paul, this meeting is of massive importance. Because it is to do, as we see in verse 4, with preserving the freedom we have in Christ and the very truth of the gospel. And the consequences are huge. It will determine the future of the Christian church. So what is the big issue That is at stake. And why is it so important? Well, the issue is there in front of you. This comes from Acts 15. It describes what is going on at the time. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, all Christians must become Jewish. Whereas Paul was saying, actually, the gospel is for all people of all cultures. Jews and Gentiles are accepted by God on the same terms through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore they should be accepted by the church on the same terms. 
Back in uh, chapter 11 of, of Acts, Paul had already explained to the apostles how he had felt called to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. He'd seen them converted. He'd seen them receive the same gift of the Holy Spirit. And the response of the apostles then was, we're told, they praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The trouble is they hadn't really thought through the implications of Gentiles converting from paganism as opposed to Jews converting from Judaism. Did they really believe that you could become a Christian without having to adopt the Jewish customs? As John Stott says, was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ not as a reform movement within Judaism, but as good news for the whole world? and the Church of Christ as the international family of God. So that's why this is so important, because if the apostles in Jerusalem had sided with those teaching against Paul, you would have had a massive church split. You would have the Jewish church, you would have the Gentile church. So what does happen? Let's have a look at this, um, this uh, incident. What we see is Paul is actually quite smart here. He takes along with him Barnabas, a Jew, and he takes Titus, who was a Gentile convert. Now, if the apostles were going to side with uh, Paul's opponents, they would have had to insist that Titus had to be circumcised, that he had to adopt all the other Jewish practices. But as Paul reports, uh, the outcome of this meeting in his letter to the church in Galatia, he says, yet not even Titus, in verse 3, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. In other words, they accepted that it was not necessary for Gentile believers to adopt Jewish practices to enjoy Christian fellowship. And Paul goes on to say in verse 6, they added nothing to my message. The gospel message I preach to you is the same gospel message that they are preaching in Jerusalem. So how had these false teachers got it wrong because they'd misunderstood the purpose of the Old Testament law we heard last Sunday evening didn't we when Mark was preaching from, from 1 Samuel part of the Old Testament law part of the reason for it was to show us how impossible it is for us to make ourselves right with God and instead these, these false teachers had distorted that to say actually if we keep the Old Testament law if we keep all these traditions then we can make ourselves pure and right with God well such teaching Paul says here in verse 4 would just make us slaves all over again the gospel is actually about freedom in Christ freedom from guilt freedom from the insecurity of, of wor worrying have I actually done enough to make myself right with God Jesus taught the Old Testament law had been fulfilled in him. He was the only one who could keep it perfectly. And in so doing, he made us righteous. We are free from the law as a means of earning our salvation. And that means we can obey it through the strength of the Spirit working in us. And we can obey it out of gratitude for all that Jesus has already done for us. So the apostles reaffirmed Paul in his ministry. And in verse 7, we, we see it says here that James, uh, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship 
when they recognize the grace given to me. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. But what does this mean for us today in the 21st century? Because I said, as I said um, the other week, we're not really tempted, many of us, to, to be circumcised, to eat kosher food. Um, so what lessons can we take from this? Well, I think a key lesson is to value the truth of the gospel more than a false sense of unity. We live at a time when the buzzword is uh, diversity, which means understanding each individual is unique, recognizing our individual differences. The gospel values diversity. Um, It is for all people, for all nations, for all races, for all cultures, for all social classes. Everybody's invited to receive the gospel. But where this word diversity, I think, has become confused in people's minds is to say that all beliefs are equal. And we know that all beliefs are not equal because some actually condone uh, violence, they condone death, and surely that can't be a good thing. And as Christians, it's also tempting to say that actually our differences don't, don't matter. We're all united. And many differences don't matter. Style of our worship doesn't actually matter. The form of our baptism, the timing of our baptism doesn't really matter. But the roles of, of men and women in church don't matter. Not that these issues aren't important, but they don't prevent us from enjoying fellowship with other Christians in, in other churches. But if we have different views about what the gospel is, then that does matter. For example, the Bible states we are all sinners. We all need salvation. And we can be saved if we trust in Jesus, that his death on the cross for us took the punishment away that we deserved. If we do that, we are promised we are saved, that we are made right with God. But there will be some people in in other churches who will say that actually through the death of Christ, all will be saved, irrespective of whether or not you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your saviour during your lifetime. Now those are not two compatible beliefs. We, we can't say they're both right and therefore we can enjoy unity. This big meeting between Paul and the other apostles took place because false believers had infiltrated a church and Paul was not willing to share the church with those who taught a different gospel. He's saying there's only one gospel, only one way of being saved. If we compromise the truth of the gospel, what we risk is that people don't understand how they can be made right with God. And that is a serious thing. Well, before we move on to what it means to act in line with the truth of the gospel, in verse 10, having said uh, they were given the right hand of fellowship, um, been affirmed in their ministry to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, Paul adds this in verse 10. He says, all they, that's the apostles, asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. Now, we could easily just gloss over that as a little, uh, little PS, but um, the apostles clearly thought this was important enough to insist on. For Paul, it wasn't a problem because it was a concern that he already had. So why did they mention it? Well, I think for two reasons. Firstly, the Jewish churches were, were generally poorer 
than the churches um, being planted in the Gentile areas. And to encourage unity between the Jewish and Gentile churches meant sharing the different resources they had. So we read in 2 Corinthians how Paul later arranged uh, an offering from those churches in Macedonia and Achaia for the churches in Judea. But secondly, throughout the Bible, the poor are those that we should care for. Matthew 25, um, Jesus talks about uh, the mark of a true believer being those who've cared for the the vulnerable, in the shape of the poor, the the refugee, the sick, the, the prisoner. And that compassion of Jesus for the poor is something that we are trying to take on as a church. One of our mission statements is to engage with the community in word and deed. The community action team is looking at ways in which we can provide practical care to those in need in the church and in the community. We heard earlier on from the, about the work of compassion who, who we support trying to release children from poverty and at the same time introduce them to the gospel of Jesus. And also we've recognized that um, we've been blessed as a church in many ways with different resources and we want to use that resource to be a blessing to, to other churches and not least in, the, in training people, sending people out to to serve in the wider kingdom. Well, in the first part of um, this chapter two, then, we've looked at the need to preserve the truth of the gospel. But in the second part of chapter two, starting at verse 11, we're told of another meeting between Paul and Peter. This is a meeting that takes place in Antioch, chief city of uh, Syria, where Christians were first called Christians. And it's another tense and dramatic meeting this time is not to do with the truth of the gospel, but how you live out the gospel, how you act in line with the truth of the gospel. And that is in some ways much harder to, to deal with, because it's much more personal. Paul is not now confronting the apostles as a group about their understanding of the gospel. He's confronting Peter personally about his behavior. And he's pretty strong here, isn't he, with the language that he uses. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, I'm not sure it would have been quite like that in that little face there. Um, but, it, you know, it's just two people coming together, two leading apostles of Jesus Christ in a head-to-head. They left Jerusalem shaking hands, and now in Antioch, they are in conflict. Then we'll move that picture on so it doesn't distract you. Uh, <laughs> um, come back to that one. So what is the issue that's come between them, though? Well, it's in some ways the same gospel issue about the, the equality of Gentile and Jewish Christians. But now it's what that looks like in everyday life. Peter knows that the Gentile Christians are acceptable to God. And that is based on their faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore he has meals with them. He eats with them. A way of expressing fellowship with them. But then this group of Jewish believers come, come into town, um, apparently claiming the authority of James, and um, they are preaching that Gentile believers need to adopt the Jewish customs. And if they don't, they're not clean in the sight of God. So Jewish believers can't eat with them, otherwise they, they too would be unclean. And what happens is when they arrive in town... Peter starts to draw back 
from these Gentile believers. He starts to ditch them, in other words. And when he does that, other Jews follow his lead. And Paul is very strong here in his condemnation of Peter. He calls him a hypocrite. He calls him somebody who's not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, of course, the question is, why does Peter do that? Is it that he realizes his error and, and shouldn't have been eating with them in the first place? Well, it's not that, because we're told in, in Acts 10 that Peter had this special revelation from God where he was told by God, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He's witnessed the Holy Spirit being poured into the, the whole family of Cornelius. He's seen them being converted. He knows these Gentile believers are his brothers and sisters in Christ. There is nothing wrong with eating with them. So why does he do it then? Why does he stop eating with them? Well, have a look at verse 12. Paul's view is that he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, I'm not exactly sure what he was afraid of, but he did what would cause himself least uh, uh, problems, least controversy. Basically, he was looking for an easy life. But as Paul points out, to believe one thing and to do another is hypocrisy. He was acting out of cowardice and not out of conviction. Of course, it's not the first time Peter's acted out of cowardice. Remember how he denied Jesus three times after he'd been arrested? Now, now Paul didn't have to confront Peter. He, he too could have taken the easy way out. He could have just let Peter do what he thought was best. It was part of his conscience. But this wasn't just about Peter. This was about all the other Jews following Peter's lead. So this was about a potential rift again between the Jewish and Gentile churches. Ultimately, it was about the truth of the gospel. The gospel changes lives. So when you become a Christian, you start to live in line with the truth of the gospel. But Paul's life, and um, Peter's life, was out of sync with the gospel. And so what Paul does is not just call Peter a hypocrite, but he reminds him of the gospel truth. He takes him back to the gospel truth. Have a look at verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now the key term he uses here three times is this word justified. To be justified is to be, to be declared just, to be declared innocent. And the key to understanding this, this concept is the, the word declared. Because if we're not really innocent, if we know we're, we're all sinners, how is it that we can be declared innocent? What is it we, we need to do? Well, there's only one thing we can do, and that is put our trust in the one who is perfectly innocent. The one who steps in, who takes our punishment, and who's declared guilty in our place, in Jesus Christ himself. We can try and do good works that uh, 
try and earn our, our, our innocence, but um, that will never be enough. And that is what keeping the Jewish customs is trying to do, and that will, is why it will never succeed. To be justified is to have our lives changed. And so as Paul says in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, <clears throat> and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And a couple of applications to come out of this for, for us um, this morning. Are we acting in line with the truth of the gospel? Or are we saying one thing and doing another? Now, the root of hypocrisy is fear. But if we believe the gospel, we don't need to be afraid because uh, the death of Jesus assures us of God's love. Here it says from Hebrews 13, The Lord is my help, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Or in Romans 8, if God is for us, then who can be against us? <clears throat> One of my tires um, looks a little bit like this picture here. Worn on one side, but um, okay on the other. Now, I could just uh, change that tire out. Um, but the same would happen again. Because they're out of alignment. I need to get the wheels aligned. God is gracious. Peter was acting out of alignment. He wasn't in line with the truth of the gospel. But God brought him back in line. And he used Paul to do that. He did that by reminding him of the gospel. That we are all justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you are acting out of line with, with the gospel, if God is... Uh, giving you that sense of things are not right. And maybe it's because you're afraid of people, as, the, as Peter was himself. Then can I encourage you to turn back to Jesus, remind yourself that in him we have all we need. He will give us the freedom that we need. But what about another situation where we see a brother or sister in Christ who's not acting in line with the gospel? Are we prepared to confront them like uh, Paul was? Or are we going to take the easy way out and avoid that, that confrontation? Because if we do, there's no knowing how much damage could be done to the gospel. Because one person who's hypocritical can cause a lot of negative damage to many others. One of the bravest um, people to challenge the, um, the, the perversion of the gospel was uh, Martin Luther. And next year is the 500th anniversary of the uh, the date he posted his 95 theses, he didn't just confront a person, he confronted the whole Catholic Church. And he protested about um, a number of things, the practice of indulgences, as if freedom from God's punishment could be purchased by money. He challenged the authority of the Pope by, by teaching actually the Bible is the only source of divinely revealed knowledge from God. The practice of priests, because the Bible teaches that we are all, as the saved sinners, the priesthood of God, etc., etc. I expect many of us here will find confrontation easy. Not easy. 
if you do find it easy, then probably there's something maybe a little bit to be worried about as well. But, um, but why is it that we shy away sometimes from confronting others? I guess if we're honest, it's probably because we prefer an easy life, isn't it? But that's not the most loving thing we can do. And it's not believing that Jesus is actually able to change somebody through, through our help. To challenge someone means firstly being aware of our own fallibility, our own dependence on Christ, on his grace. It means asking for the strength of God to be able to, to go to that person uh, and say what needs to be said with the right degree of grace and sensitivity. But as we do so, we won't just be helping that person, we'll be helping a lot of other people. Well, as we, um, as we finish, we've looked at the importance of uh, preserving the truth of the gospel. We've looked at the importance of acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And acting in line with the truth of the gospel is basically about living the life of a Christian, enjoying the freedom, enjoying the life, the love that Christ has given us. So let me finish by reading again verse 20. And let's take this with us into the, into the week ahead. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the moment of quiet to reflect on what this means to to us, what God might be saying to us. And then I'll pray in a few minutes. Father God, we do thank you that the gospel is for all people of all nations, that everybody can be saved as they put their trust in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, that it's not down to what we do, but it's down to what he has done for us. And Lord, where we see the the truth of that gospel being changed and altered in a way which um, perverts it, which dishonors it, Lord, we pray that you would make us conscious. We pray that you would warn us against that. But Lord, we do pray for the strength to act in line with what we know to be the truth of the gospel not to um, lead others astray through our hypocrisy. Lord, keep us in line with with Jesus. Lord, where we start to stray, Lord, um, point that out to us by your Spirit, uh, prompting us. Lord, point that out to us through others uh, getting alongside us and speaking the, the truth in love. Lord, help us to be a church where we're able to do that where we don't take offense where we are when we are challenged but that we're doing it for the good of one another we're doing it for the good of the gospel we're doing it for your glory's sake so build us up we pray as a church as we trust in jesus christ our savior in whose name we pray amen